the word of our Lord from the epistle to the Hebrews. Recall the former days in which, after you were illuminated, you endured a great struggle with sufferings, partly while you were made a spectacle both by reproaches and tribulations, and partly while you became companions of those who were so treated. For you had compassion on me in my chains, and joyfully accepted the plundering of your goods, knowing that you have a better and an enduring possession for yourselves in heaven. Therefore do not cast away your confidence, which has great reward. For you have need of endurance, so that after you have done the will of God, you may receive the promise. For yet a little while, and he who is coming will come and will not tarry. Now the just shall live by faith, but if anyone draws back, my soul has no pleasure in him, says the Lord. But we are not of those who draw back to perdition, but of those who believe to the saving of the soul. Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. For by it, the elders obtained a good testimony. We are known as people of faith. Believers, you might say. You hear it in the news. You hear it in documentaries. You hear it in movies, typically with scorn or mocking. Hey, our church is even called Faith Methodist. There's no denying we are people of faith. We are believers. Faith is what characterizes the Christian church. Sure, faith characterizes all religious people, but our interest this morning concerns Christian faith. We are, after all, Christians. Christian believers, if you will. There are a number of misconceptions concerning faith, many of them having to do with significantly with our Christian faith. Let's face it, we are often mocked, ridiculed, ignored, dismissed, maligned. Even so, my goal is not to complain about these concerns, which the writer to the Hebrews clearly recognized in his hearers, his original audience. They were mocked. They were plundered. They were dismissed. Rather, my goal this morning is to clarify a few matters concerning what we believe faith in general to be and what we believe Christian faith in particular to be. However, before we tackle the enormous subject of faith, we must first wrestle with faith's underlying subject, which might surprise you. Faith's underlying subject is truth. Truth underlies faith? I thought they were at odds with one another, no? I thought that secularism and its scientists have all the facts and that all we're left with is our flimsy faith. Is this not so? Bear with me, we'll get to that. Interestingly, our culture has been gladly eroding the concept of truth itself for generations, only to, in recent days, in fact, just this week, begin panicking when faced with the reality that people actually disagree concerning what is truth. Hashtag alternative facts, anyone? For well over a century now, at least in academia, 
Postmodernism has been systematically undermining, dismissing, and outright shaming the idea of truth. There is no truth, only subjective experiences. There is no meta-narrative, so postmodernists say, no overarching story that ties the world together, that holds onto coherency, that keeps life from spinning out of control and just falling apart. There are only stories, countless stories to be sure, only minor narratives that we ourselves just so happen to major on that help us gain a sense of meaning in this fleeting vapor of a life. There's your narrative, and there's my narrative, your story and my story. What's true for you and what's true for me? None of these are right or wrong, really. None of these are ultimately true or false. In the end, none of these are actually even good or bad. Sure, we might prefer ours over theirs, but it's all subjective, really. Really? There are just stories or narratives that give us a feeling of significance. So has said the voice of our culture for quite some time now. I say that it has been the case for well over a century in the academy, but certainly you've been noticing it pop up in pop media at least since the late 80s or early 90s, right? This voice that says there is no truth. There are just perceptions. Some of you might even admit to noticing it as far back as the 60s. In dramatic contrast to these underlying assumptions of postmodernity, there stands truth with a capital T. Truth is that which corresponds to reality. It is a bedrock, a foundation. In fact, it is the bedrock, the foundation, the bedrock of knowing, the foundation of all knowledge. It is a firm and fixed principle an unmoving measure of what is. Truth is the very idea that undergirds modern science itself. Truth points us to reality. And not only that, it also affirms that reality is real and that reality is knowable. We can know, not just think, but really know that 2 plus 2 equals 4. It does not equal three. It does not equal green. It does not equal jealousy. It does not even equal X. Some of you have struggled with algebra before, and let's be honest, you secretly said it in your heart of hearts, Amen. Am I right or am I right? We can know that when water drops below a certain temperature, it becomes a solid, no longer a liquid. We call that solid ice. And it typically begins to form at 32 degrees Fahrenheit. Or if you'd prefer, zero degrees Celsius. Or if you're just weird, 273 and 15 hundredths of a degrees Kelvin. I just lost some of you there with that Kelvin comment, but please move along with me. You can look it up later. 
We can know that Georgia, the state in which we live and the state in which we are gathered together for worship this morning, is two states over from Mississippi. The state in which I was born, the state in which I grew up. It is no more than two states over and it is no less than two states over. We know these things. We know them for certain. We know them so certainly that we call them facts. Facts are tricky things. They are inescapable. Sure, we might disagree about what ought to be considered facts. We might even interpret facts differently from one another. Yes, despite the hysteria of social media this week, we can actually and reasonably disagree concerning the facts. And yet the fact that there are facts is itself a fact. Denying the facts does not erase them. Ignoring them. Declaring that they aren't real. Pretending that they are just imaginary boogeymen like the ones hiding in our closets or under our beds does not make them go away. Sorry, kids. We can run from them just as we can run from truth. But we will only be wasting our limited time and burning our precious energy, and in the end, we will get nowhere. This is a fact. You can't hide from reality. Ultimately, you must face it. Such is the nature of truth. It's like the flu. It's there, it is what it is, and it ain't going nowhere. You'll be stuck with it, likely forever. Moving right along, what about faith, though? We've all been told that faith and facts are different from one another, but their differences do not keep them necessarily at odds. Indeed, their separation, or better yet, their distinction from one another, does not make them mutually exclusive. You don't have faith over here and facts over there and the twain shall never meet. That's not reality. In fact, this couldn't be made any more obvious than it has been made by historic and orthodox Christian faith. Our creeds, which mean, I believe, credo, our creeds are rooted in history. In fact, the most commonly cited creed of the Western Church, the Apostles' Creed, which was not actually written by the Apostles, but was certainly written within the next 50 or so years of their lives. Our creeds, They are rooted in history. In the Apostles' Creed, we tie the most critical turning point of our faith to the truly undeniable responsibility of a man named Pontius Pilate. The historically unquestionable Palestinian underling of the Roman Emperor. Our faith is built upon the facts of history. Furthermore, the Bible is filled with real stories of real people who lived in real time and inhabited real space. Just recently, I listened to a Breakpoint commentary concerning several of the greatest archaeological discoveries of this past year, and it never fails. Year after year, discovery after discovery only adds more credence to the historical reliability of these biblical accounts. No matter how much we may doubt, there really is no escaping this. This book is verified 
by factual scientific archaeological discoveries time and time again. On top of it all, Jesus of Nazareth, the one in whom we put our faith, he is historically undeniable. Even secular historians, many of whom plainly deny the theological claims of the Christian faith, cannot escape the veracity of its historical claims concerning Jesus. There's no denying that he was born when the Gospels claim him to have been born. There's no denying the Gospel accounts of his suffering and death. There's even no denying the fact that his body went missing three days after his professionally verified death that multitudes then claim to have met him bodily, even walking with him, eating with him, talking with him, fishing with him, and that his body has mysteriously gone undiscovered ever since. Having now considered the relationship of our Christian faith with truth, let's delve into a few things about real biblical faith, what I'm calling true faith. True faith is all about personal trust. Its chief concern is not just with knowledge, not just with information, not just with theology, not just with doctrine. Sure, these are important, even fundamental, you might say. That's part of the motivation behind the writing of the epistles in the New Testament is, okay, here are the things we ought to believe and therefore here are the things that we ought to do in life, the ways in which we ought to live in life. But the Apostle James declared quite plainly, oh, you believe in God? Good for you. So do the demons of hell. And they're terrified. What really matters is not just what we know about God, but how well we know Him and how much we personally trust Him with our lives. Put another way, even more important than believing in God is putting our belief in Him. As I always tell my college students, it's one thing to see a chair, recognize that it is a chair, and think that it would probably hold my weight. But actually sitting down in the chair is a whole other matter, which does require some measure of trust. Some measure of faith. Belief. I love roller coasters. Thank you, Bill. Even still, every time I get on one, I trust that that scrap of steel, or as it were, those old painted planks of weathered wood, are going to keep me from crashing to the ground at such speed. What I know mentally concerning their safety really can't pass for the trust of actually getting on for the ride. Now can it? Do we trust Jesus with our families? Do we trust Him with our futures, our tomorrows, our next days? Do we trust Him with our finances? Where the rubber meets the road is in asking ourselves and ultimately asking the Holy Spirit to search us. Lord, do I really trust You? Or do I just believe some things about You? 
do we trust him enough to obey him? Because true faith is accompanied by certain behavior. We call this behavior in the various ways it's lived out obedience. You know, like the hymn writer said, trust and obey. There's no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust and obey. We call it obedience. Obeying the voice of the Master. The one we say that we trust. The one that we say we've put our hopes and our dreams into. The one we say that we've put our belief in, our trust and our faith in. We do well to carefully heed the advice of Jesus' mother, Mary. You might remember that to the frazzled servants at a wedding in Cana of Galilee, when they'd run out of wine and were scrambling to figure out what to do next in order to help the host of the feast to save face and escape some sure embarrassment, she wisely said to them, Do whatever he tells you. Do whatever Jesus tells you. There's no getting around that. I'm currently reading a book titled How to Be Holy, First Steps in Becoming a Saint by Peter Craft. He's a professor of philosophy at Boston College. And in this little book, Dr. Craft tells a brief story from his childhood. He wrote, The wisest idea I ever had came to me, clearly from divine inspiration, one day when I was about eight. It so sticks in my memory that I remember exactly where I was, riding west on Hilden Avenue in Prospect Park, New Jersey, passing the corner of North 8th Street after church one Sunday morning. I had been confused by all the things I was taught in church and Sunday school, and I asked my father, Dad, all this stuff we learn in church, it all comes down to just one thing, right? He answered with some suspicion, Just one thing? What do you mean? I replied, We just have to ask God what He wants us to do and then just do it, right? A proud smile replaced suspicion on His face. You're absolutely right, son. A philosopher, Dr. Crafe, then jokingly adds, It's all been downhill ever since. You know, we have a funny way of oversimplifying complicated matters and overcomplicating simple matters. But true faith listens for the voice of Jesus and then acts accordingly. It is accompanied by certain behavior, behavior that is befitting the Master. There's more, though. True faith is seeking for better understanding. Just as the hymn we sang at the beginning of our worship cries out, Oh, for grace to trust Him more. So also, faith in Jesus longs to know Him more. It longs to learn more about Him. It even longs to know more about its own self in relation to the God of Scripture. This is why we ought not be discouraged when we are dogged by our inner voices, our inner selves concerning our faith or lack thereof. Boy, I know so little about what I believe. How well do I really believe? You see, true faith 
is like a hunger that grows when it's fed, but simply goes away when it's starved. Hungry? Why wait? Grab a Snickers, right? No. Don't grab a Snickers. Grab a Bible. Grab a devotional book. Grab something to feed your mind and your heart. Grab something to feed your intellect and your soul. Grab a good book. Why not grab the good book? Since truth underlies our faith, and truth, the true Christian faith is rooted in the facts of history, we ought to want to learn more about the one in whom we believe and why we believe what we claim to believe. To be sure, the Christian faith is filled with huge and difficult ideas which make huge and difficult demands of our lives. But they are rooted in reality. They are grounded upon truth. They are based upon the facts of history. Biblical faith. Christian faith, true faith, takes an honest assessment of the facts. What has indeed happened? What is? It wrestles for the right conclusions. And it lives life in personal abandonment to the God who has made himself known to us in the person of Jesus. His eternal son who entered real time and real space to redeem what was lost and to fix what was broken. So now how should we live accordingly? Trust Him in small ways. Typically, if you don't first learn to trust Him in the small parts of life, you'll never learn to trust Him in the big parts. So trust Him in simple matters. Take small steps toward big trust. You know the areas of life in which you need to trust Him more? And if you don't know the areas in your life that you need to trust Him more, then that ought to be the prayer that you pray. Lord, show me where I need to trust You. Simply ask Him, Lord, what's the next small step You want me to take Toward you. Trust Him now. There's no time like the present. As Pastor David Lane used to always say, no one ever did anything tomorrow. There's only today. There's only now. There's only this moment. If you aren't reading and praying on a daily basis... You'll never grow in faith. Speaking of facts, that's a fact, Jack. We cannot grow closer to God without finding Him in His Word and without exchanging words with Him in prayer. It just will not happen. It cannot happen. Read and pray. Pray and read. you want to take more steps in faith see me after the service or contact me throughout the week let me know what's happening and i'll let you i'll help you think through the next steps in fact if you're so inclined join me at the altar this morning i'd love to pray with you and seek the master with you let's pray
Father, we need you. It's a fact. We need you. We need to trust you. We need to follow you. We need to obey you. We need to know you and love you. Lord, we pray that your spirit would search our hearts and see in our lives and point out to us in our lives those places where we need to trust you more, where we need to take a small step, even a crawl toward you. Lord, would you search us? Would you try us? And Lord, would you lead us on toward your son, Jesus? Lord, help us to respond to you as you see fit. Lord, help us to respond today and now. We pray all this in your Son's name. Amen.